Good afternoon, fellow directors, past presidents, members, and guests. Welcome to the 116th season of the Empire Club of Canada. I'm Mike Van Solen. I'm the president of the Empire Club, and I am delighted to be your host today for a virtual event, the, the Evolution of an Economic Engine Assessing the State of Canadian Advanced Manufacturing. I now call this meeting to order. We couldn't do these events without our generous sponsors, so I'd like to thank our presenting partner, and lead event sponsor, Business, Business Development of Canada, better known to many of us as BDC. I'd also like to thank our event partner, VBC and LiveMeeting.ca, Canada's online event space for, for webcasting today's event. And I would like to thank our media partner, The National Post. Back in 2008, just as the Great Recession was starting, the Empire Club hosted an event called, Is There a Future for Manufacturing in Canada? While many, including our panelists today, likely never doubted the answer, the COVID-19 pandemic seems to have made it crystal clear for everyone. Yes, yes, there is. As critical international supply chains broke down over the past months, there was a time when it seemed that every country was on its own. Everyone was for themselves when it came to procuring essential health and safety products. In that moment, it was clear just how critical it was to have a strong and capable manufacturing sector right here in Canada. We saw the automotive sector turn on a dime from making engines to making ventilators. Other manufacturers and other sectors pivoted to making test, test kits, gloves, masks, and gowns. The list goes on. There is just, there is just as much uncertainty today as there is about the future as there was back in 2008. But a lot has changed. For one thing, we're meeting over Zoom and not at the Royal York in downtown Toronto. But as we move into the second half of the year, as the economy begins to recover, we might see a very different manufacturing sector emerge out of this crisis. Here to tell us what that might look like is an all-star panel. Jason Myers is the CEO of NGen, or Next Generation Manufacturing Canada, the industry-led nonprofit leading Canada's advanced manufacturing supercluster. Jason and NGen have been absolutely central to the retooling effort during COVID-19, and it's terrific that he's able to join us today. Diane Rico is the president and CEO of Rico International Group. She and her family have been running one of the province's most innovative manufacturing companies down on the lakeshore for more than 40 years. There is probably nobody better positioned to tell us about the realities on the ground today. And rounding out the panel is Flavio Volpe, the president of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association. It was, it was Flavio who helped bring everyone to the table to start making critical equipment like ventilators and respirators right here in Ontario. He was rightfully dubbed a manufacturing hero by the Toronto Star, and he is here with us today as well. And our panel will be moderated by Peter Hadges, Partner, National Sector Leader, Automotive, KPMG in Canada, and Managing Director, KPMG Corporate Finance. Before I turn things over to Peter, please know that this is an interactive event. Uh, feel free to submit your questions in the dialogue box below the picture, and we'll do our best to incorporate some of those into the discussion today. So without further ado, let me turn it over to Peter. Uh, thank you very much, Mike, and good afternoon, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today. I'm your moderator, Peter Hatches, and I'm joined by, uh, I think, an excellent panel. And I think today's discussion is going to be uh, very informative and revealing for all of us. Um, it's certainly been one of the most unique periods in modern history, with a shutdown of the global economy as we battle the COVID-19 pandemic. I can't emphasize enough how important manufacturing is to the Canadian economy, uh, the global economy, and, and how the pandemic has put a spotlight on the ability of nations to respond to the emergency needs of its population. Manufacturing is very important to Canada uh, and Canadian GDP. It's the second most impactful sector and accounts for 10% of GDP. When you add warehousing and transportation, which is highly connected, it accounts for 15% of GDP, and that is uh, by uh, far and away the largest largest sector. So a number of spin-off benefits, of, as many of you know. Uh, monthly manufacturing shipments, as an example, in Canada, 
uh, amount to approximately $50 billion. Uh, the sector employs 1.7 million people. As the Internet of Things takes hold and advanced manufacturing opens a new opportunity for a variety of Western economies to rekindle their manufacturing footprint supply, uh, it becomes critical and these, these manufacturing efficiencies will help us uh, reduce uh, labor costs and reestablish manufacturing in Western economies. So with that, uh, let's talk to our panel and I have a, a series of questions. And as we go, hopefully we'll address some of the questions that might come from the audience. So I'll kick it off with Jason. And Jason, first question to you, there's a lot of buzz uh, around advanced manufacturing. Um, do you equate this to manufacturing 4.0 that people refer to and how would you describe it for our listeners and how important is it to Canadian business? Well, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, Peter. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, as Mike mentioned back in October, 2008, uh, there was a similar presentation to the empire club. In fact, uh, I was speaking at that time talking about the future of advanced manufacturing in Canada. So a lot of common themes here. Um, and, and as Mike has said, uh, I, I think it uh, maybe has taken the pandemic uh, to show Canadians the real importance of manufacturing and, and be able, being able to not only bring, bring new production into um, uh, into the business, uh, but frankly, to save lives. This is uh, uh, this has been a, a tremendous effort by manufacturers across Canada. Uh, what does advanced manufacturing mean? Well, clearly, there's a lot of uh, a lot of discussion today about Industry 4.0, uh, Manufacturing 4.0, the the fourth industrial revolution, the impact that digital technologies have had on uh, production systems, on the capability of companies. But you know, when we're talking about uh, world leading advanced manufacturing capabilities, it's not just technology. What we're looking at is, uh, and, and what I think the way we have to look at advanced manufacturing in Canada is the ability of manufacturers to achieve superior results, superior business results, to be able to compete and to grow in a, a very, very competitive global environment. Technology plays uh, a part of that, but uh, far beyond that, it's uh, questions of leadership, the ability to Bring to uh, bring to customers new value-adding solutions through a product. And manufacturers make things. Uh, it's being able to uh, motivate people, have people work together uh, uh, with capabilities that uh, are unique for uh, for businesses. It's the ability to put in place processes that are world-leading and to continue to improve those processes. Uh, and it's the ability to use the technologies, the tools, the digital technologies that uh, uh, that are now uh, uh, you know, really changing the nature, not only disrupting uh, markets, but uh, changing the nature of the business of manufacturing itself. So coming back to your question about how does this impact the, the importance of manufacturing in Canada, uh, I'd say a couple of things. We often are fixated by technology, but we don't look at the business itself, how good manufacturers are uh, in Canada, how well they are able to pivot. And some of that is a part of the, um, the capability delivered by technology. But uh, it, it may surprise everyone to know that if you compare the profitability of Canadian manufacturers and U.S. manufacturers, Canadian uh, companies are more profitable than their U.S. counterparts. They're smaller, they're much more agile, they focus on solutions. The other thing that I think is very important is the, the nature of manufacturing itself. You know, I, I describe manufacturing as a, an anchor of value creation in the economy. It's, it's transportation, warehousing, but it's also the engineering and the technology and the software and the logistics and all of the, all of the services that uh, count on manufacturing as major customers. And so when you look at that broader value network, the importance of manufacturing uh, to this country, uh, I think becomes even more important than when you look at the direct contribution to, uh, uh, to GDP. So, it, it, you know, in short, it's a hugely important sector. Uh, it's even more important today. But uh, I'm totally optimistic that, uh, that it will continue to compete, continue to grow, continue to flourish here in, in Canada. And it won't be just as a result of the use of technology. 
it'll be because of the leadership and the management capabilities of every manufacturer in the country. Yeah, well, that that's insightful because, and I agree with your comments, I think uh, manufacturing capability in Canada is uh, underestimated and understated. And I think you're right, uh, as evidence would, would have it, I think there are a lot of profitable Canadian manufacturers who've done it right, despite all the issues they might face with respect to, uh, you know, trade and, and uh, manufacturing advantage, uh, they seem to, to get, uh, get the job done. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, let's turn it over to Diane. And Diane, your, your business has evolved over the years. Uh, you're certainly more than a tool and mold maker from, from how you started. Um, how does advanced manufacturing affect you? And uh, do you think you're vulnerable because of it? Or is this an opportunity for you? Hi. Thanks, Peter. Um, and thanks to the Empire Club and, and BDC for sponsoring this event. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah, we really um, have sort of incorporated, I guess, advanced manufacturing throughout all of our history. Yes, we did start as a tool and mold maker back in 1976. It's a lot younger than I am today. Um, and things were quite manual back in those days. So as uh, computerization and CAD CAM became available, we were one of the first uh, to embrace the new technology and incorporate it into our processes. Obviously allowed us to keep competitive and continue to build those tools for those parts like we do today. With a few of them sitting behind me here. Um, as time went on, we, we developed a machine building division, which grew into our automation division, recognizing that within our own facilities, we needed to use technology, but also that there was a demand for it out in the world. You just couldn't be globally competitive, um, and, and we're predominantly exporters. Uh, you couldn't be globally competitive without using those technologies and some of those advanced uh, capabilities. Uh, we then had an acquisition of a large uh, machine tool uh, parts manufacturing company, Concord, which has been part of RICO for a long time now, where we're uh, machining very precision, very, very large cast and fabricated parts. We used, again, advanced manufacturing, some of it from within our own division to create some tipping tables to allow us to machine at one point in time, if you can believe it, 22 locomotive crankcases in a week. So it was pretty big volume. Um, so you have to use some of that advanced manufacturing combined with that sort of tribal, traditional machine manufacturing knowledge to be able to achieve great things. Um, there's, there's robotic tool changers and all kinds of things as well in that division. So. I think in general, it's it's not a, a threat if you explore it and figure out how to incorporate it into what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, if you want to stay globally competitive, you gotta, you've got to use those tools. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting that you say that, Diana. I mean, I think uh, you would say you are globally competitive, wouldn't you, uh, to, to compete in this industry with I, I would say yes, although, you know, I'm not sure the playing field is always quite fair when I here, some of the pricing from certain parts of the world where I believe there is a lot of government subsidy, a little tough to compete against that, but in general, yes, I would say we are. Right, right. Okay, uh, over to Flavio. Flavio, um, the new uh, Canada-US-Mexico agreement is supposed to be very beneficial to North America. Uh, manufacturing, do you think it is for Canada? And uh, is Canada gonna be an active participant here? Well, you know what, uh, like Diane, uh, I started in 1976, but that was breathing. And so my perspective <laughs> on this is that, you know, I'll just use the last couple of decades and where we went on trade agreements. And Diane talked about the playing field. Do you know, in 2008, I was at Queen's Park. And uh, when uh, the OEMs, uh, the Detroit Three put out their uh, quarterly earnings in the third quarter, just did a quick calculation. What cash they have on hand was the burn rate. Quickly realized that. Uh, uh, Chrysler had five months, General Motors had nine months, and Ford maybe had 2021. 20, and um, we started in Ontario to do this restructuring plan that eventually brought in uh, the U.S. Treasury, and most of the money came from the U.S. But we we decided as a jurisdiction to get involved in, in holding on to, uh, as tightly as we can, um, the automotive sector, starting from the OEM cluster and then trickling on down to the suppliers. Why? Because it's important, as Jason has said, it's a it's a manufacturing anchor. Uh, it's it, sorry, it's a, it's an industrial anchor that that helps to bring in other prosperity. Now, what have we done on trade the last ten years since that? Um, both governments, this one and the the previous one, 
walked us into the TPP that that at the central premise, the central Canadian concession was less local content in automotive. What that means is less business for um, less requirement to buy from Diane to make cars to sell to Americans. The whole premise of the Canadian automotive sector for the last 110 years has been we're the best place to make cars to sell to Americans. 75% of what we make gets sold to Americans. So, so we watched since 1992 to 1994 from the Maastricht Treaty in the EU to the new NAFTA. Um, we watched uh, a real trend for 25 years of globalization. The, the new Kuzma, the USMCA, I think not doesn't just reset that relationship between automotive and Canada, U.S. and Mexico, but I think it's gonna it's the it's it'll be that that uh, point in time where we look back over the five the next five to 25 years. When did we stop with? the globalization bias and go with the localization bias. I call it a bias because it's not binary. In the new USMCA, the Kuzma, if you want to sell a car to an American consumer, 75% of that car, instead of 62.5% of that car, has to come from, um, uh, has to be sourced from uh, any combination of the three countries. A part to be sold into that car to qualify has to, instead of 60% of that part, 65 to 75% of that part. On the core parts, if they're made of steel or aluminum, you've, you you need to source seventy percent of that locally. Oh, are you making it in a in a facility that pays less than sixteen dollars an hour, and that's the wage? That's not all in. Then you need to find forty percent of that of that of the components, that local content, from uh, parts suppliers that pay sixteen dollars U.S. an hour or more. All of those dynamics, and, and by the way, the uh, the 62.5% versus the 75%, well, the current NAFTA 62.5% is based on 29 parts categories. The new USMCA is based on twice that. Every single measure and point of the new USMCA's uh, rules of origin for automotive reverses the trend of where we were going on TPP. It, we think uh, our analysis is that for the Canadian part suppliers, and I'll include the entire spectrum there, everything from tooling to volume parts to um, to uh, 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 software systems, there is an incremental amount of about six to eight billion dollars a year on top of annual shipments of about thirty-five billion dollars a year uh, today. I can't wait for full <laughs> transition. Uh, it is akin to adding two and a half new greenfield uh, OEMs uh, in uh, in Canada. So yes, Peter, that's a long way of saying, yeah, we're going to benefit. Well, certainly an exciting time, I think, for Canada. If, if we can participate to the extent the uh, new trade agreement allows us to, it's going to be a, a great opportunity for manufacturers. It's going to be a great opportunity for new business as we uh you know participate in that all important north american content um let me turn it over to jason now and uh i have a question you know given our COVID crisis as i refer to it advanced manufacturing is you know seems to be a critical component not the only component but a critical component to, to survival in light of the potential changes to international trade and the supply chain as we know it and due to you know partisan feelings around reshoring, particularly goods deemed to be critical, such as pharmaceuticals, can this uh, can this be accomplished? There's a lot of talk about reshoring. There's a lot of talk about you know products being uh, remanufactured back here in North America or in Canada, as the case may be. Um, I suspect the answer here is near term. It's difficult, but what's your perspective on it? I think in many ways the COVID crisis has aggravated some of the challenges that uh, that manufacturers, not only in Canada but around the world, are uh, are facing. Uh, it certainly caused a lot of uh, of headaches. Um, uh, a lot of uh, new risk in terms of the uh, the resiliency of supply chains uh, uh, around the world. I, I totally agree with uh, uh, with Flavio. I think there are tremendous opportunities uh, now for for nearshoring, for actually uh, building up production within Canadian manufacturing, and that's that's also uh, very evident uh, when it comes to the development of healthcare products or PPE to fight uh, fight COVID. It became very clear that we just don't 
we have not produced these these products and uh and now i think it's uh, uh a lot of people are thinking how important that is and uh and clearly we've seen the ability of of manufacturers uh, across canada to pivot to produce many of these uh these products uh uh here i and and Advanced manufacturing systems, uh, technologies have been critical uh, here and uh, they've allowed companies uh, greater flexibility, greater ability to respond quickly uh, to uh, changing customer demand. Uh, they've provided uh, an opportunity for companies to to change product lines, uh, to develop new uh, new products and to integrate new technologies in products. Uh, so that's all very good. They've also helped companies, uh, the application of digital technologies, uh, helping companies to trace their supply chains, to, uh, to uh, improve their existing processes. And, and that's important as well. But I think one of the biggest challenges that companies are facing right now is the cash flow crunch. Uh, you know, in many sectors, uh, demand has has fallen uh, pretty dra- dramatically. Will continue. I think the the full impact of the of the downturn in in customer demand uh, in some sectors uh, is just being felt now. Isn't it, yeah, isn't it fair to say, Jason, that that you know the labor advantage that's been so evident when manufacturers look to jurisdictions of low labor costs they tend to move their manufacturing facilities there all you have to do is witness the success of china in the last decade but isn't advanced manufacturing the key component to try to make that manufacturing margin effective without heavy or significant reliance just on labor inputs yeah absolutely uh here you know i i think uh it's very clear that Canada is a high cost jurisdiction to manufacture. Uh, so what advanced technologies enable manufacturers to do is to improve their processes, reduce the cost of production. Uh, but more than that, uh, find new ways of providing value to customers. And, uh, right. and that above all, I think, is very important. What we're seeing is, in many cases, it is not just a, a removal or a reshoring of manufacturing, but a nearshoring of the engineering, the advanced uh, technology uh, component of production, and uh, uh, and also the you know the high value, uh, high margin, more complex uh, production systems. That's where uh, it really pays to produce locally. And uh, and again, this is something that we're seeing, I think, in uh, uh, in, in the COVID crisis. I I, I do want to flag though that uh, uh, you know this has to be managed well, and that cash is pretty important in terms of the ability of any company to continue to invest, uh, not only in technology but in skills development, market development, and so forth. It's uh, uh, cash really dictates where manufacturing is is going, and so the ability of companies today to navigate through the business challenges they're facing, take advantage of the market opportunities that are opening up, is really uh, is really key. Uh, just one final final stat that we have uh, as we were setting up uh, our uh, the advanced manufacturing supercluster, took a look at um, uh, the. The performance of of Canadian manufacturers in, the, in terms of their the investments that they've been making in technology, and what we found working with Stascan, six thousand manufacturers in the survey, uh, eighty thousand, or sorry, eighty percent of those manufacturers had made some investment in, in advanced uh, technologies over the previous three years, but over half of the companies that had made those investments had not achieved the business objective. Now, either that is because the technologies were inappropriate, or perhaps didn't uh, didn't get to the point of uh, improving the process that they had intended to improve, or maybe they didn't have the business requirements, the processes, or the skills uh, required to manage the technology effectively. And and so that's why I'm 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 coming back to the point that technology is important. Uh, but it's the way that the technology is managed to deliver the business results that are even more important. And that's where I think uh, this this combination of the ability to provide customers with new solutions on one hand, but the ability to do that uh, well uh, in a in a way that continually improves processes, that continually um, that, that manages risk uh, well, and that is able to uh, at the same time do this in as efficient a way as possible is really key. So part of that is a technology issue. 
large part of it is a uh, uh, manufacturing management issue. Yeah, well, if there was ever a time to manage manufacturing and improve efficiencies, uh, this is it. There's no doubt that, you know, suspension of economic activity for many companies has caused cash flow problems. Uh, No doubt many are in discussion with their banks. I have found generally the Canadian banks to be very accommodating, and I hope that condition continues. But, you know, at some point, there's going to have to be uh, measures taken by all companies you know, to make sure they can utilize their cash in the best way possible or conserve it to the maximum extent they can. So now that we're on the subject of, uh, of that, uh, Diane, um, your company has been on the front lines of this, so to speak. And I understand that uh, you did not really suspend operations. How'd you manage that from a safety perspective? And how about cash flow and, and business volume? How have you dealt with those problems? Yeah, well, I guess... I guess we we had a number of customers who who said you know you're essential for us in, in terms of being in the supply chain, um, so that was our motivation to remain open. Pretty good um, customers. <laughs> yeah, <great>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I love them every day. Um, but uh, we definitely uh, had to take some you know sort of drastic action, you might say, from uh, from simple things like uh, really locking our doors to visitors creating, you know, intensive screening uh, policies, even internally with respect to our employees. Uh, with our automation division, we had a lot of guys who were out on installation, you know, around that time period, helping uh, put equipment in place. And uh, we basically paid for them to stay home and, and you know, self-isolate for a couple of weeks afterwards, just to make sure that they wouldn't uh, impact the rest of the workforce. Uh, you know, did the intensive cleaning, um, uh Trying to think of other things that we did. We we have in one way the safety was paramount, of course. So it was like if we can't do this safely, we're not going to do it. Um, but we have the luxury of space in our facility. So we have these massive milling machines that we use to to machine at Concord. Uh, we've got quite a bit of office space um, and and spread for our accounting and our engineering staff. Um, so we just spread people around. Um, did some switching of lunch shifts and things like that for some of the common spaces, ramped up our cleaning of everything that people touched and really asked everybody to pull together and, um, and protect each other. You know, we wanted them to be safe, you know, as a team. And I said, think of us as an extension of your family, right? You, you wouldn't want your family to be impacted by you coming to work and nor do we want you to do things that are high risk and bring that into the workplace. Um, so we yeah, can- good reaction though. Good reaction to your customers uh, and how they've been over this this period. You know, have you been uh, short on cash, or have they been generally timely with you? Well, you know, we learned some really rough lessons the last time around in 2007, 8, and, and our own kind of uh-huh. issues there. So we had a big objective to really strengthen that balance sheet, and um, you know, we're one of the fortunate companies in that we have a decent war chest, um, as they call it. And uh, and so cash has not been our biggest concern, but obviously in this kind of environment, you have to pay attention. So we've yeah. taken advantage of, of managing it in ways that we can. Um, we, we haven't really seen any knock on wood um, problems from our customer base yet, but um, you know, we'll see. Good, no, that's a, that's yeah. a good practice. My father always used to say, you always need to save for a rainy day because it because it always rains. <laughs> That's and, this, uh, this is one big know. rain, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This this lasted longer than thirty days in Noah's Ark. <laughs> um, so, Flavio, how how important is it for for manufacturing to get moving in Canada? We you know we've had various starts and stops. The provincial government seems to want to extend the state of emergency in Ontario, which is a key manufacturing province it's obviously not the only province and of course we have to respect you know the health and safety of the population but uh you know our consumers are our workers and if they don't get to work uh you know we're going to have some implications around that what do you think is going to happen in the next two quarters and can we get back to normal production in 2021 canadian automotive business especially the output from canadian plants and to say nothing of the output in the U.S. from Canadian-owned plants or the output in Mexico from Canadian-owned plants, it's kind of funny. We all serve the American customer. So <laughs> when you ask this question, I think we're all looking for a Canadian answer. It is almost irrelevant in the grand scheme of things 
on what the Canadian consumer does, although the dynamics are the same. Uh, we need consumers uh, not concerned about a W recovery, so they'll spend money. We we spent some money last uh, couple weeks uh, with a series of other business groups to consult the business community around the province and also public opinion. We asked them about what they thought. Uh, uh, did they have um, anxiety about their car payments or maintenance? The answer is no. Uh, sorry, there, there wasn't a difference between the pre-COVID right. era and now. Okay, uh, During this period when in most jurisdictions across North America, people uh, to some degree have been sheltered in place or locked down or, or quarantined are not using their vehicles. The, the most important dynamic for a Canadian automotive parts sector is uh, what's happening in the U.S. Northeast, um, the U.S. Southwest, as target markets for a lot of the, the products that, uh, that, uh, that we produce and serve. What we're seeing there, uh, and sure, there's lots of political debate, there's epidemiological debate, uh, there's public policy debate, but um, a lot of those markets have reopened and, the, and the, the, the consumers are acting, especially in the last couple of weeks, as if nothing happened. And so I, we see some modeling that's a little bit, um, you know, you, you, you see uh, IHS, who we really rely on, uh, yeah. talk about uh, a strong return, uh, that an annualized, uh, the annual production this year will be off about 35%, but that we're looking at in the middle of 2021, um, the kinds of volumes that we would have anticipated had the dip not happened. We see companies like AFS say, you know, perhaps it might take us till um, uh, 2023, 2024 to get there. The fact of the matter is that if you're looking for uh, Intel, you have to look at the American consumer and not the Canadian consumer. Now, in Canada, the only, um, let's call it, the only stubborn market is the Ontario market. It appears that, you know, we, we plateaued the curve and we're doing this right now. Um, one of the dynamics I'm looking at in, in that data that helps uh, to kind of predict the reopening is the percentage positive from tests looks like this. The hospitalization curve looks like this. We're testing more people and we're testing different populations than we were a month ago. You know, the, the, the data says a month ago we were testing long-term care where a lot of those cases were acute and now we're testing differently. I think we get a sustainable return. I think we all know that we're looking at some type of a second wave, but we're, we're, we're building workplaces and PPE to keep people safe within them. If we can get to 75% in the next couple of months, uh, and I think that we are there, we're just a little bit anxious about it. Um, we may see a curve in automotive uh, production that, uh, you know, maybe there's a, there's a unprecedented dip during COVID, but we might come back to that line uh, sooner than um, than you think. Certainly, the car buyers in the U.S. Um, are showing us the way. Yeah, I share your sentiment about car buyers. I think there is pent-up demand. I think people have postponed their purchases, but certainly not abandoned them. Uh, and I couldn't agree more that the U.S. market is important, not just to Canada. You know, it's a huge consumer market with a diversity of tastes. There's a number of products that find their way to the U.S. market. And if the U.S. market does not recover, the world uh, limps along with it. So uh, I think you're spot on as to, you know, as to Canadian resolve, I think, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the work Diane's company has done. I think, I think uh, that's to be applauded. You know, people have found a way to cope uh, with the, uh, with the issues that, that arise from a pandemic like this. And I think it's a testament to, to how people can, can solve the problem and how we can do two things at once, as has been often said. So, you know, I guess this is more of a question for all of you, but uh, I mean, how how do you think uh, Canadian manufacturing has, has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, Jason, how about you first? What, what's your perspective? Well, uh, fast across the board. Uh, I think showing the degree of flexibility and agility and problem solving and engineering that really uh, are specialties of Canadian manufacturers, regardless of the sector. Uh, here, uh, late March, uh, Next Generation Manufacturing Canada uh, launched a $50 million uh, program to fund uh, the development, uh, really the, the development of production for innovative products to fight COVID. Uh, looking at products that can be brought to frontline 
frontline healthcare workers by the end of June. We had over a thousand applications. Uh, probably we were only, we were only able to fund about twenty five different project uh, different projects here, and we focused on um, projects that were high priority for uh, uh, for governments uh, here and for Health Canada and, and PHAC in in particular, uh, ventilators, test kits, therapeutic products, uh, disinfecting agents and and disinfecting uh equipment uh all of that uh and and as well as uh as other types of um of ppe i i, I guess you know the response was tremendous uh i think that the the types of projects that we funded are a really good example of what lies ahead for manufacturers in terms of these are innovative solutions they're unique solutions being developed here and uh, with potential commercial opportunity around the world uh they are uh they all combine uh advanced technologies in either the product that is being developed or the process uh for uh manufacturing these uh, these products and i think above all uh they all have an ongoing sustainable business plan um or, or a business opportunity. They're, uh, they're areas of production which are not just in short-term demand or or will be in demand throughout the pandemic, uh, but can really position Canada as a, a, in a leadership role with respect to these manufacturing capabilities. So I'm uh, just totally impressed by the the innovation and and certainly impressed by the the degree of commitment and motivation right across the industry. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. Diane, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you're motivated, you've got a, you know, sister, a stepdaughter who are nurses in Detroit, and they're right on the front lines, and they're telling you, my God, I'm so scared, I don't have a face shield, I, you know, other people that are freaking out around you, I mean, as a manufacturer, it's their obligation to step in and help. I mean, we we started producing face shields very quickly using, a, you know, a 3D printer, and getting supplies as quickly as we could. And I mean, we're not in the production business, right? We're making tooling, we're designing automation sure. equipment to build that for other people. So it's a little bit outside of our normal wheel well, but you know, you just, you do what you gotta do, right? And and then we built a tool and, and we're producing these face masks. And and we've had people, you know, here, we've been giving them away to be honest with you because the um, certification of them as, as suitable for healthcare has taken quite a long time, if I could, be honest. Um, and uh, so we've been just gifting them to the community. But I mean, we've, we've had people in tears at our door saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, you know, can I pay you for these? And we're like, no, just take them. Like we, we just have wanted to help. And so, so that's what we've done. But I, I remember story. a story great, about great manufacturing uh, when I was young, my father saying to me, I had come home from school, I was very excited. And I said, you know what I learned today, dad? That societies go through this progression. They start as agrarian where you're growing things. And then you have an industrial revolution and you're manufacturing things. And then the teacher said that then it becomes a service economy. And my father almost hit the roof. He said, my God, if that happens to Canada, this country will explode. He said, he said, you can, we cannot be without manufacturing. And I, I remember the um, emotional response that I got from him that day. But it's really now that I recognize what, you know, what kind of dependence have we had all this time for all of this PPE? You know, we, we've offshored all of these manufacturers to, to produce stuff that's critical to our survival and our safety. And, and, and we've made ourselves, in a sense, victims. Um, so I think we have to figure out the way to make sure that all this work that's been done to get us up and running and to produce this stuff stays here because yeah, you, you, you make a, you make an excellent point. I think what this is for me, what, what the pandemic brought to light was the innovation and the responsiveness that comes from modern manufacturing. I don't know how a modern society could say that its economy can advance without having the capabilities to make and invent and produce product effectively and innovatively you know, when you're faced with challenges like we have now, and I think, I think you're 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 spot on, Flavio. Your your thoughts on this? You know what I've been doing for the last two months, Peter. I think uh, I think <laughs> answers this question. We, you know, I worked in on, uh, in government. I worked at both levels of government. I've worked in the private sector. Um, uh, deep respect for what both sides of that aisle can do. What government can't do is react quickly. 
And but what it can do is bring to bear resources that are much bigger scale than the private sector. What this pandemic said to us, uh, second week of March, I'm watching the news. I watch uh, the EU say that they're going to put export restrictions on PPE. You know, it was a real quick question. I had a conversation with uh, with uh, with some people that you all know, Giles Gerson down at uh, Queens Park, uh, Vic Fideli, Nav Baines. We just said, okay, look, we don't make any of this stuff. And the very good and advanced Canadian medical technology sector makes this stuff, but they make hundreds of it or thousands. If we can't get it from our trading partners and we need tens of millions, what are we going to do? I offered uh, to uh, make a public call to action to uh, auto manufacturers because we build at a scale that is um, that has no equivalent. And like Diane's father said, um, God forbid we get to a place where we don't have manufacturing here. We put a call to action out on March the 15th. Uh, I immediately had 12 companies put their hands up, but, but we knew what we needed more information. I went back to Giles and said, give me the list of what you need. I talked to, uh, I said, and said, tell me the list of what you need. Let's see if we can't work together to try to get specs. If we have to get specs, like Diane said, you got to make our own product. If you got to make your own face shield, Mitchell Plastics. You got to make your own face shield, and then you got to wait for certification, and then you got to wait for a public procurement. And we need it in a peak in April. We're going to have a problem. Use this one as a company, uh, probably uh, one of the top four uh, auto suppliers in uh, Canada. Uh, uh, they've got plants all over the world. Uh, Woodbridge Group turned around and said, you know what? Um, I'm not gonna, we're not going to wait for certification. We're not going to wait for money to come from uh, programs, uh, you know, uh, and, and, you know, there's some great announcements after our, our call about money being made available, uh, for example, from Engine. We need to get to it quicker uh, for public health reasons. We have a partner in Japan because Japan went through this before everybody else had already designed this and had already done certification validation and certification in other jurisdictions and the private sector because it has a network around the world was able to cut down uh, from their partners their japanese partners in to cut down the development time we worked with uh mcmaster there's a great story on mcmaster where i went to go pick these up on a saturday morning a prototype at the uh, in uh, vaughan ontario drove it over to uh hamilton handed it off to the to the Associate Dean of Engineering, John Preston, who went into quick validation testing almost immediately. Within a week, the company had said, we can make it. Within three weeks, they were producing at volume, no purchase order, no uh, money to help uh, the tooling. The promise that that money was going to come because the government can't move fast enough, but when it does, it can bring the stuff to bear. The private sector carried the can for the public sector on this piece, and we worked together. 165 companies said, uh, they put up their hand and said, we'll do the due diligence. 77, after having done the due diligence, like Diane said, fine, we can do it. And uh, 25 of them ended up in uh, public procurement a volume. You know, we've got 40 million of these and 30 million of these ordered. We need, there's a dignity in making things that we forgot. And just like when you go to war and you've got to, you don't go to war with your button-up shirt on and say, hey, I got you. You go in with your equipment on. You don't harsh language. Fight. Harsh language doesn't work. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends who you're fighting. But yeah. uh, when you're going against an invisible enemy, if you don't put stuff between you and the disease, you're not going to make it. Category. And, and uh, the legacy of the COVID era for Canadian automotive manufacturing and manufacturing writ large is. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Flavio, we, we've talked a lot about like reshoring and the difficulties related to that. And, and there are some big headwinds gaining strength in my view. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, they're going to have very significant influence on how North American, North American manufacturing takes shape. If some of the trade sanction, sanctions being talked about take hold, and who knows whether they will, this is all a lot of political rhetoric by now, but well, I do feel there's some headwinds behind them. What do you think Canadian manufacturing should prepare for? Do you, do you think do you think there's a there's a likelihood that forget about Canada that North America or Western Europe people are going to be rethinking these things? You and I 
both know that. Um, is there a possibility that we're gonna we're gonna really see this? It's not as easy as it sounds. I know you've said that before. Look, if you're making these or uh, take out containers for um, for the food that you order, and you want to chase that, um, you want to chase the the quickest dollar, uh, the most impact for your dollar. You should. Um, if you're making cars, there's going to be a very difficult as we get down to the commoditized components. Very difficult argument on reshoring goes. Uh, the fact of the matter is that that North American automotive production, uh, Japanese and uh, Western European automotive production, need those low cost jurisdictions to make cost competitive cars. And if right. anyone of those, just, not just us, yeah, yeah. But the thing about Canada, and we've been saying it, and we've we 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 pay lip service to it, and and certainly. I, you know, I, I did two stints in government. Uh, you know, I was part of that, part of that, you know, thought. But uh, how do you execute? We want um, uh, we want the most advanced manufacturing here. We we talk about Industry 4.0. I know Jay and Diane, you probably hear that every day. What does it mean? It means that the the Chinese who are making these have factories of the future making these. You think that there's armies of people making these cheaply it's it's actually that foxconn knows how to make this cheaper than our friends in waterloo and so if we're going to take advantage of some of the trade winds that you're talking about we've got to demonstrate an ability to have the most advanced factories it's a really a factory of the future argument digitization right. industry 4.0 uh, artificial intelligence co uh, connected supply chains why we're still making the same things, but we want to make them in cycle times that matter at competitive advantages that, that we want the, the manufacturing assembly equipment to learn. Uh, we want to be able to connect our factories to our uh, to our customers and to our subcomponent suppliers and our material suppliers in a way that is uh, revolutionary, in a way that, uh, you know, I spent some time with uh, Porsche. Peter, I invited you to that. You never came. But we went to see... We went to see a factory where they make um, where they're making um, uh, their uh, their SUVs, and where they're making uh, Taycan. And we ended up out on the test track. And the highlight for me, I took that trip because I wanted to get on a test track in a bunch of Porsches. But what I came back with was, hmm, they really, really, really put a lot of thought into how the Porsche is made, not the engineering and the design of it. The actual factory itself is where the milk gets in the coconut. And if we don't have, if our government programs can't move fast enough to deploy the, that money, in this interim here, um, the Chinese will find a, another way to uh, subsidize their production of their uh, their state-owned enterprises. And yeah, fine, tariffs. Who cares? We may have a new president in in six months in the U.S. And a lot okay. of these trade wars go. Yeah. Well, listen. I I think uh, you know one of the one of the viewers has asked, uh, and maybe Jason, I'll direct this to you. Like, if we're relying on, you know, product input product the way, uh, you know, Flavio describes it as being done overseas or jurisdictions that are either more efficient or better at it. I mean, can we really can we really implement, you know, the kind of manufacturing advanced manufacturing 4.0 now? That, uh, that makes this economic for uh, Canadian manufacturers. I mean, I think in, Diane has proved it. There's a lot of Canadian companies that have proved it. But I guess what does the future hold? And really, right now, is, is advanced manufacturing too expensive to implement? I guess uh, I guess your response might be it's uh, too expensive not to implement. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, you know, the one thing about technological change is it's not only uh, been able to deliver new technologies and uh, potentially new solutions, but it's really driven down the cost of a lot of uh, of technology as well. So the the cost of entry, the cost of investment is is much lower today than it was uh, uh, than it was before. But I, I agree with Flavio. I, I don't think we should be expecting a reshoring of commodity-based products uh, back to Canada. No, no uh, yeah. And, and, you know, but what I've seen as well, and this isn't just about existing manufacturing, uh, this is also about our the ability to, to scale up uh, some of the technologies that uh, the devices that um, the Canadian companies are so good at developing. Uh, and then, you know, maybe need a, a, a sensor. 
uh, well, there's, you know, we'll go to Taiwan because that's where they do sensors. And uh, then they go to Foxconn and, and uh, uh, they find out that nobody really wants to pay attention to a small company. And so right. the next thing they do is they send an engineer over. And then the next thing they do is they decide that because of the engineering and the and the uh, components are there, that's where they'll do the manufacturing. Then the IP moves. Uh, and and that's that's all too common. Uh, you know, one, one of the, uh, we also often laugh, uh, our unofficial motto is who knew? We have so many great technology, research, and manufacturing capabilities in this country. And I guess what, you know, one of the benefits of, of the response to the, the pandemic is there is a much greater awareness now, uh, as Flavio again was talking about, about some of the you know the tremendous resources that we have here, uh, companies like Diane's, uh, that uh, many people, many manufacturers may not have been aware of uh, before, but now there's a lot more awareness, a lot more collaboration. I think that's that's also extremely important. Totally yeah. agree about the, you know, we need factories of the future. We need uh, uh, we need products of the future that can integrate uh, technology and, and serve as platforms for uh, for service as well as uh, as just getting products out the door. This is a this is all about providing new solutions uh, going forward. Uh, but you know, I, I think the uh, uh, to the point of the question, um, it, we probably can't if if companies want to remain in business. I, I don't think they can stand back and avoid uh, investing and and trying to get the best out of their uh, out of their technology. But at, before doing that, it's all about identifying where you can provide that value to your your customer to your customer's customer. What is the solution based on the capability that uh, uh, that you have, and then looking at uh, doing that in the the most efficient, the uh, uh, you know the 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 best way possible to to incorporate the the tremendous technology uh, technological capability that uh, that is out there. AI and sorry, AI uh, just quickly. AI is a good example. Got carried away with uh, talking about AI and machine learning. All sounds really good. When it really comes down to it, AI is a system of prediction. And if companies can look at where in a process does a system of prediction give the biggest bang for the buck, the biggest return, that's the type of management uh, thinking that I think companies need rather than just simply focusing on the technology itself. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I was asked a question once about manufacturing in Canada and automotive manufacturing in the province of Ontario, and is it really economic? And my response was, if they can build cars in Germany, we can certainly build them in Ontario. And I think history bears out that if you constantly look for manufacturing advantage in labor, that it's fleeting, whether it's in the United States or even in the United Kingdom at the turn of the century, wherever you go, you know, that's not the answer. The answer is to build things technologically uh, at an advanced stage in an advanced way that will really help, uh, you know, bring products of an innovative uh, nature to the forefront. And I think that's the critical component. I, I think it is. And, you know, when we look at, uh, Canada has been a great exporter of natural resources. Our natural resources of the 21st century is people and IP. It's knowledge and and uh, and the people of the skill sets that we are so good in developing. Wouldn't it be manufacturing is all about making things, but it's all about taking those skill sets, taking that IP, and creating something, making something of value uh, right. here. And that's really when it really comes down to it. That's that's the real importance of manufacturing. But it also speaks to the resilience, the agility, the the solutions that Canadian companies can bring to the market far faster than some of the larger companies that we're competing with. I agree. I agree. Uh, being conscious of time here, we've got about five minutes left, according to my time. Uh, Diane, over to you. How how would you position your company and maybe others like it in terms of the current landscape? Are, are you ready to take up the challenge if if reshoring really becomes a reality uh, and and what do you think the advantages are of North American manufacturing, North American mold making, you name it? Um, and, and, you know, as one, one uh, another uh, listener has posed a question, I mean, how do we use uh, our student knowledge, the, the great uh, capabilities that we have coming out of university? Can they play a role in helping us, uh, you know, come to this challenge? And yeah. Meet yeah. I, I mean, we're ready. Um, I think that, 
describes uh, most manufacturers in, in this country. Um, we've been doing it for a long time. We are looking at new technologies. I mean, our automation division, for example, some of the stuff that they concept and come up with is is truly amazing. You know, as Jay mentioned, the, the IP um, that we have in this country is incredible. Um, I think, you know, a little bit we have an issue with marketing, I'm going to say that, um, you know, uh, we don't necessarily, you know, toot our own horns as well as we should. Um, we don't know about each other. I mean, honestly, I had a customer um, with a, um, a production facilities all across North America. And I said to him, how's it going? Are you getting ready to reopen? And he said, yeah, I said, he said, well, I don't know how we're going to take the temperature of all these people when we're going, when they're going in. I said, hey, great. I know this local company here who's developed this device that your people can just walk through and it records all the data and tell us sort of what their baseline. I mean, it's amazing. So I yeah. connected them, which is great. But I mean, had we not had that conversation, he would have never heard about them. And so it's, it's that, you know, how do we get more visibility about who we are and what we can do? Um, and, you know, I hate to say this, but if the biggest market is across the border, that's where we need the visibility, right? It's well, it's almost, we it's almost like we have an understated importance about it. Like we, we really, we're really uh, conservative about our own capabilities in manufacturing. There's always been a lot of talk, as you said, you know, earlier in this program, you know, uh, the, the service economy prevails. And uh, I, I don't, one, subscribe to that. Number two, I think I think we underplay. Our manufacturing capability and our and our uh, know-how in Canada. Oh, for sure. I mean, we have customers that say to us, you know, your equipment it just runs. You know, you you put it in, we don't have to worry about it. Um, and then this other stuff that we've imported, you know, we're having our guys are working around the clock, you know, to try and help our customers out of a crisis because they can't deliver product, right? Not equipment or not tooling that we've built, but. But we're working around the clock to try and help them because that's what but Diane, doesn't that highlight the point everybody's been talking about through this pandemic? I mean, aren't you articulating it for everyone in that reliability of the supply chain, reliability of the product, being able to go back in an instant of time uh, to make sure something works or to make a modification is crucial. And when you add up all the dollars and all the costs that go into bringing a product to market, that's a critical one is bringing it to the market on a timely basis, on an effective basis, on a quality survivability basis, durability basis. You know, all these things go into the equation. It's not just about dollar cost. Yeah, there's so much waste, right, that people just want to look the other way and say, okay, well, here's the base price. But but what about, what about, what about, you know, there's, there's so much afterwards that... Um, can impact their profitability that they right. need to look at in, in their sourcing decisions, you know? And yeah. and what it, what do they say? You never know what you've missed until it's gone, right? I mean, yeah. imagine if they didn't have us as a supply base to bail them out of some of these crises sometimes, you know? It's, uh, it's, it's brought it all. It's brought it all to the forefront. Well, again, conscious of time, uh, I think we've uh, come to the end of our broadcast here as I, as I look down. I don't know if anyone else has anything to add. I guess... Uh, Maybe a last question, if we have a minute, Flavio. If you could get government support for something, what do you think it would be right now? Uh, very simple: modernization for the means of production. Companies like uh, Diane's that make reliable uh, goods that help companies like the ones that I represent make volume parts. Uh, if government is going to invest in something, if we're going to have all these opportunities from the new Kuzma, from reshoring, and those types of trends. Let's make sure that the factories that we have make more reliable units per unit of time than uh, than anybody else on the planet. If we do that, we've got the people, we've got the we've got the public policy framework, and we've got the can-do attitude. Yep. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, I think that's right on. Well, okay, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I hope you all found that uh, informative, and uh, it was a pleasure to be your host today. Thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks, Peter, uh, for leading this great discussion. It's been very insightful, uh, inspiring, uh, and to think about advanced manufacturing and its growing importance and recognition in Canada. I, I really appreciate it. Diane, Jason, Flavio, thank you very much. 
Uh, I'd like to turn it over to my good friend, uh, fellow Empire Club director, uh, the manage, a managing partner with uh, BDC Advisory Services practice in Ontario, Sal Rubani, to offer proper appreciation. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, a great discussion and a lot to think about. On behalf of BDC and the Empire Club of Canada, it is my privilege to offer the appreciation remarks for today's virtual meeting. Diane, thank you for all that you do. You're a hallmark of excellence, a national role model as a woman entrepreneur and leader in manufacturing. To Jason and Flavio, for your insights and invaluable work you do in the ecosystem. And to our moderator, Peter Hatches, Pete, thanks for bringing this together as always. Great job. Um, and I appreciate your thought leadership. Indeed, this is an unprecedented time. And I know that many of our clients are attending today's meeting I've had the privilege to serve. I continue to be inspired by your resilience and a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for your work and determination. Lastly, I'd be remiss if I didn't take pause to acknowledge how proud I am to be affiliated with an organization with a steadfast commitment to diversity and inclusion. At BDC, we stand with those who suffer racial inequality at home and abroad. Our unwavering commitment to diversity and inclusion, in fact, is not new, it remains as firm as ever. Together, we must help amplify the voices of those who are not heard. And on that, Mike, back to you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sal. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, we at the Empire Club love hosting these events. Um, there will be a few more yet before the season is done. Please check our website to find out about uh, other ones coming up. To all our panelists, uh, to Peter, thank you very much. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you.